0: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
1: Hello and welcome to the Addicts Anonymous podcast. I'm your host, Jamar. Today's episode 235, and we're going to be interviewing Kel. How are you doing, Kel? Doing well. Thanks for having me. All right. I'm glad to have you on the podcast. So let's get started here. Like I was telling you before, we start off the same every
0: episode. Tell me about your childhood growing up. Um, My childhood, you could probably say it's idyllic. Uh, I was raised by a single mom, but our family was very close. We have a small family. Um, My grandparents did a lot of the raising, actually, while my mom worked. Um, I had two cousins, similar in age. uh, So they were more like sisters, really, than, than cousins. So we all came up together. Uh, we didn't come from a household where alcohol was around or anything like that. Um, the family lore, I suppose, is my granddad uh, he used to have a couple of beers in the fridge and would smoke a cigar after work. And whenever this guy was old enough to get in the fridge and start to get curious uh, about what the green bottles were, he stopped keeping them at home. Was he <laughs> Heineken? Uh, it was Little Kings, actually. Oh, okay even worse in my opinion. Um, so there was really no um, exposure to alcohol or anyone intoxicated anything like that growing up. Um, I think perhaps my aunt and uncle may have you know had had a good time so to speak on on vacations or whatever but but that was never around. So we were kids we we didn't get in trouble we had good grades we had a good time there was no um, you know family struggle we had.
1: Yeah. Except for the, I mean, my parent, my dad was pretty rough on me, but the one thing I can say that I relate to you with is there was never alcohol. I mean, technically my dad had alcohol in the house, but it was for other people and it was like hidden away. Uh, Uh, He never drank never, ever. And Mm -hmm. neither did my stepmom, and neither does my mom. My mom's never even tried a cigarette. Wow.
0: Okay. Yeah. She's a goody good, good girl. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. I think, uh, yeah, with my family, it, it wasn't so much, it, it was more setting an example than anything else. I think, you know, if they wanted to do something like that, they wouldn't, it wouldn't be a big deal. Um, but with the little kids around, you know, we sort of noticed the shift whenever they, they started to watch their language when we imitated them and things like that when we got a little bit older. Um, but yeah, it was, it was really good. Small town, small town, Southern Ohio, small, tight-knit family. Um, everything was good. My, my father wasn't in the picture um, I only knew bits and pieces about him and as I got a little bit older I did find out that he did have trouble with alcohol so that ended up being part of my story later. Were your parents bad. divorced? Yes they were. Uh, they what age were was, you? Like one between one and two. Okay so you like don't even
1: dad's. know of, yeah you never even had your dad in the picture at all.
0: No I didn't no memory anything like that
1: just pictures. Yeah. Gotcha. So did you have a lot of friends growing up?
0: Yeah, I mean I I'm the kind of guy that can gotta get along with anybody. Uh sense of humor was big in our house. Um, maybe sometimes too much. We like to <laughs> rib each other kind of hard. Um, but I met a, a dear friend of mine that's still a friend that I still talk to all the time when I was three years old. Uh, I met another friend of mine who I call my best friend, you know, first grade, seven years old. We still go out and do things together. Uh, you know, our families get together and have Uh, have a good time. My aunt and uncle was actually neighbors with his parents growing up. So if I went to one's house, I ended up at the other. Uh, It it was a good situation. And again, being from a small town, our graduating class was about 115. So I keep in touch with probably 25-30% of those people, uh, at least on social media. I'll say hi, happy birthday, that sort of thing too. Yeah, so, so friends and community was great also.
1: So you had friends, a lot of friends. Did you you do good in school?
0: Yeah, I did. I enjoyed school. Uh, I didn't like math. I still don't. Uh, Oh, I hate (laughs) math.
1: I hate it. I was in, uh, I remember I got, I had to go, like when I was senior, I was with the juniors retaking the math class. I hated it. Yeah, I understand.
0: I'm a very logical
1: person. And I said to myself, I'm like, when am I ever going to use this in my life? I don't need to know geometry or algebra. It just doesn't make sense to me, unless I'm going to be like an engineer or a scientist, and you need yeah. to have those numbers where you can do quick calculations. But, yeah, I feel like that's one of the problems with schools. They kind of focus on teaching kids the wrong thing sometimes. I mean, obviously, you need math, but only to a certain degree, depending on what your hopes and dreams are.
0: Right. I agree. I remember learning algebra and doing poorly. Uh, I don't remember learning how to balance a checkbook or how to do taxes, you know, things things that are applicable later on. Um, but other than that, school was good. I was always an art kid. Uh, we did well in school, me and my cousins, my family, especially my, my grandparents are really great at positive reinforcement. So anytime we would do well, they you know they wouldn't gush, but they would they would bring it up, or they would do a little something, or we'd we'd get an extra of this or that, some toy we'd been wanting, something like that. So we did well um, for ourselves, but then we did well also because you know it feels good whenever your family praises you for being good. So we weren't the kind of kids that liked to to um, you know blow off school or get in trouble or anything like that. We were. You call us goody goodies. Uh, I guess that's that's true.
1: That's good. It's a good yeah. So you had a, how'd you do, and you said you enjoyed school. You did well there, had a good childhood. So you said you were exposed to beer from your grandfather. What age right. was that first? I think, did you say seven or eight?
0: Yeah, that maybe even a little before that. I mean, this would, this would have been a point where I was, you know, getting old enough and strong enough to open the fridge, realized that you know, okay, that's something the that granddad drank, so I'm going to do that. It was just an imitation thing. By did you take one and drink it? Yes, I was busted at least one time with. <laughs> and I think it may have even been an empty one, but still, I was, you know, trying to get yeah, whatever, whatever I could. <laughs> yeah. How did you feel the first time you had a sip? Well, see that I don't remember um, as far as alcohol. What I remember specifically as far as intoxication. The first thing I remember was when I was five years old and I had my tonsils out and I've, I've told this story before to my mom and she doesn't remember my best friend or one of my best friends doesn't remember, but it was around Halloween and I got, you know, anesthetized have my tonsils taken out. So I was groggy for the next couple of days. And when a friend came over for Halloween and said, Hey, we're going to go trick or treat. I said, no, I'm kind of tired. I'm going to ask my mom if she'll take me back to the hospital and give me more of the medicine that makes me sleepy. Hmm. So thinking back now, like, was that the first time I equated ingesting something with feeling good or feeling better? And I neglected hanging out with a friend for that instead. It's good
1: that you self analyze that because that could very well be true. That's, that's a good case of, like you said, just wanting to change your mentality or how you're feeling. It's right. a big deal. I mean, for me, my first one wasn't drugs. My first thing that made me feel different was cookies. I would get a sugar <laughs> rush. And I was Absolutely. I was a young kid, and I was like, oh, I feel a little good. I have five cookies. What happens if I have ten? And yeah. I got addicted to eating junk food. And it's still something I, I struggle with to this day because I also have addiction with food issues. You know, my main thing is drugs and alcohol, but I also have food issues as well
0: certainly certainly I, I can relate to that too uh i think caffeine probably for sure um, oh yeah it, it was with me my whole life you know i've got a i got a coke zero sitting here now <laughs> I, you know caffeine. diet diet coke <laughs> perfect perfect but uh yeah i mean that's
1: another thing um caffeine like you said i'm actually trying to quit that so i'll drink a diet coke but i'm not doing it like i used to caffeine i got addicted to where i was doing four or five hour energy shots a day like oh, routinely yeah. And it was every single day. And I was like, this is no good. You're too addicted to caffeine. Um, so yeah. cut it back a little bit. See if you don't need it. So usually during the day at work, I don't drink any caffeine. But at night, when I get home, I'll have a glass of soda.
0: Right. This is more of a dessert kind of thing almost? or Exactly. Yeah. You had yep. a good
1: day. You My reward. Sure.
0: I definitely go through uh, yeah, a couple couple three, as we say in Southern Ohio. A couple, couple three threes. Days. Yeah, a couple, three Cokes, a co- you know, two <laughs> or three, a couple, three Cokes, um, you know, coffee in the morning. Um, that's something I can do without if I want to. I don't really have any negative, negative effects without it other than just, I, you know, I want one. Um, but yeah, definitely growing up, you know, the full sugar, uh, not diet full on Cokes. I mean, 12 pack every couple of days, we would, you know, just suck those down. Um, so I'm glad I got out of that habit. <laughs> I don't know when yeah. I switched to diet and then eventually when zero came out, but probably my 30s does coke zero still have uh caffeine right yeah yeah definitely still so has caffeine just doesn't have the the sugar the stuff that makes your fat yeah the sugar and all that i'm sure the uh sweetener isn't the greatest for you but I, yeah they
1: say that that aspartame stuff aspartame is that how it's pronounced uh, aspartame i think
0: oh aspartame yeah
1: they say that's uh not good for
0: you at all that's what they right. use yeah I'm, so I'm admittedly in just kind of a comfortable denial about that i'm Still on the coat. Still it's a good way coat. to put Cold it.
1: Syrup. Yeah. Comfortable denial. I like that.
0: Yeah, we'll we'll get to that one eventually. So,
1: so you first started really young drinking mm-hmm. grandpa's beers. When was the first time you actually partied? Like you said to yourself, you know what? This does this does this to me. And if I drink more, I can get hammered. When was that first time you
0: think? I, I remember specifically, it would have been 1993. the summer of 93, I was 15. And a couple of my good friends were in the grade ahead of us and had already started having parties going to house parties uh you know we were out in the country a bit so there were bonfires camping parties that sort of thing and i i grabbed one of those friends and i said tonight saturday we are going to go drink i'm going to go drink into excess i'm going to see what all this is about um at this point i knew that my father had a problem with it but at that age it was kind of well he did doesn't mean i will um i want to see maybe somewhere in the back of my mind i was trying to relate to him why did he enjoy this so much but those are all thoughts that came up later way later but it's just we're going to go out tonight we're going to drink way too much i'm going to find out what this is about and we went hard so, i mean just whatever everybody brought anyone with a fake id brought everything these parties were big there'd be 30 to 50 people <clears throat> excuse me these you know um the Saturday after the Friday night light football game, you know, when everybody was off and had nothing to do. We would all gather and we partied hard. And that was my first, you know, big drunk though. I don't think I blacked out, but that was my first hangover, you know, the next morning realizing there were consequences to it. um, And I remember vividly people were going to sleep and I wanted to keep going. And I remember that next morning when people had hangovers and I said, I feel like crap, but I want to do it again next weekend.
1: Do you remember how you felt when you first got drunk for the first
0: time? It was exhilarating to a point and then it was almost trance like. I mean, we were out in the woods, you know, with a big fire with everybody and I got really in into that groove where oh you guys are all my friends. I love all you guys. I'm comfortable here. I'm proud of where I'm from. Like it was just It was life affirming as scary as that sounds. You know, I I felt bulletproof. I felt confident. I felt, um, any social anxiety was gone. Um, there was, there wasn't much class strata where we were. Everyone sort of got along with everybody, but it's like we were there with the jocks, the cool kids, the art kids, the music guys, everybody was getting along. And like, why can't we just do this all the time? Um, so, yeah, I, I felt comfortable. I felt like I belonged. I felt like I could relax. I felt powerful and funny and handsome. You know, all those mm-hmm. things that lack of inhibitions give you.
1: The term uh, I remember Bill W. used, he felt like he had arrived.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I am 15 and I am here now. You know, look at me.
1: <laughs> so, how did what happened as far as progression?
0: Uh, that ended up being, I, I did that anytime it was possible. Uh, We would do those things on weekends. If a party wasn't happening, we had a couple of friends that could get IDs from their older siblings or fake IDs or whatever, and just get whatever we could. Um, Sometimes I would call those outings successful as in we went and we had a good time. There wasn't much, uh, weren't many consequences. We didn't really get in trouble. I know, some parents knew what we were doing, and as long as we didn't get in trouble or get hurt or anything like that, they didn't didn't bring it up. Um, but there were a couple times where you know we really overindulged to what was, at least me, was probably a scary amount. I mean, I remember drinking so fast and so much. Um, you know, everyone else is starting the party; it's 8 p.m. and I got to lay down, and I didn't wake up till the next morning. Um, it escalated quickly from. This is fun to, I have to do this as fast and as hard as I can to get to where I want to be or how I think I want to feel. That feeling of being comfortable and, and normal and accepted and uh, the life of the party didn't last long for me. It, it, it became a need quickly. If I'm going to be at this party, I need to be as drunk as possible ASAP. Um, yeah, it just it immediately stopped working for me in the way I wanted it to very soon on.
1: Wow, it's, it happens very young. It's amazing how we get hooked so young and it just make, it set us on a trajectory that we never expected. Right. Yeah. So when did you want once you graduated
0: high school? Um, high school, I went to college for a year. Um, that was uh, away from home, I should say. Uh, I went to school for a year and that was a, a party situation that was pretty tame i didn't indulge as much because i i had a fear of failure of leaving home and you know not doing well in school and and this and that so i i did indulge but not like i did in high school uh and it didn't cross my mind it's something i was doing consciously it just was organically i was you know um pulled back a little bit for those reasons i wanted to be successful um because of personalities insecurities, uh, I sort of gave up after that year of school and I went back home, and I ended up getting a job in broadcasting. Oh, in my, cool! Yeah, in my local. What team. kind of job? Uh, radio. I was on the radio for. Oh, many, you were on the radio. That's awesome. Yeah. It's on the radio for many years. So.
1: What I kind of back, station?
0: It was a rock and roll station, so I was a a guy in his late teens, and the rock and roll only rock and roll station in town. So you could probably make the leap here to where that's going. <laughs> that is uh, a party encouraged environment. Yes. Uh, so I came home and and hit the ground running with that. Um, luckily, I, I worked mornings, so it was kind of hard to maintain, uh, you know, a, a two three a.m. bedtime all the time. But there was lots of day drinking going on there. There were there was a couple of bars right across the street that we called the annexes. You know, like our station annexes. We would go over there and and have several drinks for lunch and come back and do whatever work we had to do and go home. So daily drinking was a normal thing. Um, Less binging at that point, uh, overdoing it at that point. But being intoxicated or having a buzz, whatever you want to call it, most of the time became normal. And that was for the next 20 years almost, 15 plus years, just daily drinking uh, with excess here and there. But it became very normal.
1: Yeah, it sucks how quickly it could progress. Yeah. And especially you being in that environment, like you said, that must have been so hard. Cause I know I'm a musician, so I know the whole rock and roll scene. And like you right. said, live young, uh, live fast, die young, leave a good looking corpse.
0: That's exactly right. That's exactly right. You you're bulletproof, you're praised for it. Um, in that kind of job, you don't buy your alcohol most of the time. If you go to a place, hey, it's that guy here, have five shots for free. <laughs> You know, and you're not going to say no. So, uh, you know, obviously, I could have said no, and it it hadn't occurred to me at that point that something was wrong. It hadn't occurred to me at that point I was overdoing it. Friends of mine were doing the same thing. Co-workers were drinking at work. We had the guy that worked middays, was very well known for having a pint of something in his pocket and a diet Pepsi, and that was lunch for him. It was never mentioned, never, you know, looked down upon. I thought, oh, it's just him. That's how he did, You know, that's how he is. Um. But again, just just every every day, you know, we would we would drink and then come home every day. I did that for about five years, um, a little over five years, and decided to come back to Cincinnati, um, where I had gone to school for that year. Came back up here with the promise of a broadcasting job that didn't happen. Uh, when I got here, it wasn't here, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so we sort of got minimum wage jobs. And me and three other. Uh, Pals of mine came up here and we got minimum wage jobs until we found, you know, landed on something good and we were broke and had nothing to do. So that was another year, year and a half of just constant drinking every day. Two of the guys that came up here with us got factory jobs. So they were legitimately tired, injured, um, you know, beat up at the end of the day. And they would come home with a twelve pack, And I thought, well, yeah, that, that's convenient i'll just start drinking a 12 pack a day too trying to commiserate with them when they've done, gone and done all this hard work and all i've done is work a cash register for eight hours um so i used it as an excuse you know uh, whether i realized it or not so that got into a yeah 12 pack a day was normal and you know and that happened for another several years and at this point no consequences that's that's always been well at for the longest time had been the underlying thing for me is no consequences. I could do all this. I didn't get sick. I didn't get in trouble. I didn't lose any jobs. I didn't lose any friends. I've never been confronted by any downside to know that it was a problem yet.
1: Yeah. That's one of the problems also is when you it becomes normalized, especially when it's with friends and stuff, it just becomes part of the routine. Like it's no big deal.
0: Mm -hmm. Especially when your friends can set it down uh and you can't you know i if one guy would finish his 12th back the other guy wouldn't i would finish mine i would finish whatever's left in the fridge and there would be a confrontation in the morning you know mm-hmm. hey i didn't say you could take that oh well it's gonna pay you back you know, justify it however i wanted to um yeah if, if it's around i wouldn't stop and i didn't see it as a problem so, so you drank till you I blacked want. out Yeah, drink until it was gone, uh, until I would legitimately go to sleep. Yeah, or I would just wake up and not know how I got to bed or the floor or the couch, wherever. Yeah. Yeah, blackouts became normal starting in like my late 20s.
1: Yeah, I remember those days of passing out on the couch, passing out on the floor, not realizing what
0: happened. So what kind of alcohol was your poison? Was it liquor or a beer? It's always beer for whatever reason has always seemed to get me more intoxicated than liquor. Really? I enjoyed, yeah, I enjoyed liquor. I drank plenty of whiskey and everything, whatever you throw at me, um, and that would, you know, it would get me drunk. But it was a different type of feeling. Like beer would let me become out of control where liquor wouldn't, and I've never been able to, you know, figure that out chemically or. Uh, whatever the difference is uh, however it um, metabolizes in my body but it, it just didn't do the same thing so it was always beer you know plus liquor's expensive you can get a 12 pack for four bucks you know back in those days so yeah it was the opposite
1: for me i stuck to the liquor because i figured it got me drunk quicker because i can do three shots in like five minutes I, I really couldn't i couldn't drink five beers in three minutes whatever it was yeah
0: uh, yeah, I guess that was, I don't want to call it a skill, but yeah, that's something I could do. I mean, four or five, six and a half hour was no, no big deal. And then you were kind of cruising after that. It sounds like what you're talking about, you know, Yeah. the old, uh, the comparison about the airplane that uses most of its fuel to take off. And then once it gets to cruising altitude, it you don't need much. <laughs> there you go. I never
1: heard that comparison. That's a good one.
0: That's right. a good one. Yep. Takes a lot to get there. And once you're there, you, you can just kind of cruise. Um, yeah but that was the habit for the longest time uh, until we got you know I guess what you want to call adult jobs or big boy jobs I ended up getting in broadcasting in Cincinnati and that was in 2004 yeah 2004 and stayed in that company in that environment until 2017. that was a long time
1: so at what point did you say to yourself I got a problem
0: I had, gone back to school for uh, to learn uh, electrical work. I wanted to move up in, in the business. So in radio, I had been a performer forever, been a host forever, and then I moved over to IT just for some more security and some more money. Uh, I kind of saw how the industry was going where DJs were not um, the people with the PhD and cool they used to be. They just kind of read cue cards and, and I wanted to get out of it. I'd always had a proclivity for IT um, for computers uh, was a, a tinkerer my whole life um, so I got into IT and then was was thinking about moving over into engineering which was more heavy duty unfortunately math <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah but uh, yeah more uh, more electrical work and mechanical work and stuff so I, I went to a um, like an adult learning place here in Cincy that had a year-long certificate and I would work from 8 a.m to 4 30. I would have to be at that school by 5.30, and then class was from 5.30 to 10, Monday through Thursday. So that was my schedule, 8 a.m. to 10.30 p.m., Monday through Thursday. And I would still drink the same amount of beers or liquor on those days that I would have if I had not gone to class. So for an example, if I were to drink a 12-pack on Friday night from, say, 5 p.m. to 1 a.m. If I only had between 10 p.m. and 1 a.m. on the nights when I went to class, I would still fit those 12 in. It was ritual. It was something that had, had to be done, I thought had to be done, or my day wasn't over, I wasn't gonna sleep, I wouldn't get any sleep, and I wouldn't wake up in the morning. It was part of my daily routine, like eating, brushing my teeth, taking a shower, Something like that. Whatever's in the fridge is going to be drank and gone before I can go to bed. Didn't matter how much time I had. And when I started talking to some people at school about that, because one guy had finally said, like, man, do you just live in a barrel? Because we can smell you. He's the first person that ever called me out on anything. And it turns out that he was in the rooms. He was a 12-stepper. And just, I guess, out of uh, habit or empathy or whatever said, you know, like, are you okay? And I was like, well, maybe not. And I think that was a, that was probably the first time. So I was in my mid thirties I was like 35 before it occurred to me, like, I know I was prolific and, you know, good at it. I was a good drinker. Um, but you know, maybe this is worse than I thought. And that was the first time I, I stepped back and went to the doctor and did some blood work and, um, he said, you know, you're not in trouble yet, but you're headed there. So that's the first time it occurred to me, something is up. And I kind of thought, wow, maybe I met this guy for a reason. So it's the first time I'd ever pondered a change or got any sort of fear or acknowledgement or confrontation about it.
1: So once you got that feeling that you might have a problem, what'd you do about
0: it? No, at first I didn't do anything. At first I I thought about it. Uh, well, I drank on it, of course. So um we get back into that headspace when we're drinking. We fear nothing. Uh, thought, ah, that's fine. Uh, I'll finish school. Uh, maybe I'll get some more money. I'll have some more time off and I can, uh, you know, find a good time to wean off or find a good time to quit cold turkey. Or You know, I, I made fantasies about finding a good time to do it when it would be easy. And none of those things ever came came to pass. I just kept at my regular schedule um and then i ended up having a medical event that started to change everything um i had, had a particularly overzealous night of drinking if you want to put it that way and me and my girlfriend at the time had gone to the movies and i you know we're in the era now where you can buy drinks at the movie theater there's a bar in the movies so i'd ordered a couple of drinks at the bar had those sat down waited on the movie and got sick i uh, just had to run to the bathroom and be sick I ended up sleeping on her shoulder through the rest of the movie, woke up the next morning in my bed. She had gotten me to bed. I don't remember any of it. Um, and it was about eight hours after my last drink. Um, I had a withdrawal seizure. It took eight hours. So that that's, that's the boat I was in at the point was it only took eight hours for a withdrawal seizure to happen. And I ended up being in the hospital for almost a month.
1: Wow. How come they kept you so long? What kind of symptoms or stuff was happening with that? I I've, I've never had that happen to me even. I was lucky I went right to rehab when I was detoxing.
0: Right. Um, I had never given myself enough of a break to know. Like, you know, in the morning I would have, you know, the shakes and disorientation and anxiety, normal things that people get with, you know, maybe not the shakes, but people get with a hangover, but intensified by a thousand. You know, I would wake up every morning in a panic before my first drink. I mean, absolute panic um, before I self-medicated. So once I went in the hospital after the seizure, I had, I had aspirated um, some fluid into my lungs. So that's pneumonia. So they had to treat that. I wasn't breathing on my own after that. So I was on a ventilator for a while. And then to, bring me down without any more seizures or other neurological complications. I was on benzos. I was on propofol for a couple of weeks. I mean, propofol is infamous for being the drug that killed Michael Jackson.
1: I was just about to say that.
0: <laughs> Literally just about to say that. That That's the one. It's also, uh, also infamous if you have the pleasure of having a uh, colonoscopy. It's what they give you because <laughs> it puts you to sleep briefly. And then you wake up without the memory side effects of benzos, you know, like Valium or, or something like that. So they had me on that daily and and weaned me off. And I remember every morning they woke me up and asked me simple questions. Where are you? Who's the president? Do you know what the date is? Do you know who people, people in the room are? And at first, no, didn't know any of it. it. Took weeks for me to finally get it back until one morning I woke up and I kind of looked at my mom who had been there the whole time. I was like, I think I'm back. I think I understand what's going on now. And that took almost a month. So whatever was going on with my body, they felt it uh, necessary uh, to keep me asleep that whole time so that my body didn't react, you know, so, and just shut down. Um, luckily, I don't have lasting effects from that other than um, psychological. You know, of course, that, that, that's, a, that's a heavy deal to, to live through. Um, but didn't end up being my bottom, if you can believe it. So what was your bottom? Bottom came a little while later. It's kind of a skip ahead situation. I, I ended up uh, meeting, I should backtrack a little bit. I ended up meeting up with that friend uh, after I got out of the hospital and I did start 12 step. Uh, I did start going to meetings after that and ended up being sober for quite a while. It was almost two years. Um, So this is between 2017 and 2019 and was doing well. Uh, I don't think I was a dry drunk at any point. I was, I was working steps. I was working on my sobriety, um, was doing well. And then at the end of that in 2019, I used the end of a relationship as an excuse to take a drink. Um, I know we, we hear that a lot. And, uh, so I took a drink, stopped going to, you know, stop going to meetings, stop talking to my sponsor, stop doing any work. Um, and so I was out for another year, almost year and a half, something like that. Um, at the end of that year, I would consider that era, whatever of my drinking was my bottom. Um, I bought a house with another woman by then. That's where I'm living now. Um, and it was to the point where I couldn't hide the beer cans anymore. Uh, I, I couldn't hide the the musical trash can that we call it with all the clanking <laughs> bottles and cans. Mm-hmm. We go out to uh, the road, and I was literally going to the store buying plastic bottles of of alcohol, like fifths and pints, and would put them in my belt and walk in the house with them, and knew how to turn and whatever, and I could sneak them in the house without her noticing. And I, to me, that's the most embarrassing thing I ever did. I was like, "I, you're you're smuggling in alcohol for yourself in your pants. Like, come on, dude."
1: It's amazing the shit we'll do to get away with it. Yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely. I was hiding things in the drop ceiling in the basement. Uh, These are all things I had never done during my most prolific, um, you know, lengths of being messed up, being drunk for years and years and years. I was always very upfront about it. Didn't care what anybody thought, but at the same time, most people never called me out on it. So I didn't need to. And then, you know, the, the lady I'm with now, she cares and she is a strong person that says, you can't do this. You know, we're not going to work if, you know, this is not going to work out. If, if you can't get clean, you're going to die. If you don't get clean and I'm not going to stand around and, and watch, I'm not going to enable you. And that ended up being part of what I needed. So yeah, that embarrassment. And then I, you know, I was drinking so much at the time I was passed out on the floor and couldn't get up. And she ended up calling an ambulance on me one time, she's like, I'm not going to try to pick you up. It's like, if you you can go to the hospital and, you know, deal with yourself. She was done. And that hospital visit is what turned it around to the point where they said, we're going to let you go, but there's this place you can go if you want to go. And I took that option. And that's when I went into 30 day treatment. And that's where why I have been sober since.
1: How did you find treatment? Did it what did you think of it when you first entered the
0: rehab? The first thing is I can't believe I'm here, and it yep. was, yeah, uh, me, me too. Right, I can't believe I'm here. I remember crying the first night. Yeah, I just go, yeah, I I can't believe this. It's come to this. Like I know I need this, but I can't believe I need this. Um. I got lucky because I did, when well, I say lucky, um, I didn't get lucky. I didn't have a roommate for the first couple of nights. So I kind of, <laughs> yeah, I kind of got that out. I got the, We sound like,
1: uh, we sound like the same. The first few nights I did not have, a, Well, actually all the time I was in detox for the seven days, I yeah. didn't have a roommate. When I got to residential, I had a roommate.
0: Okay, there we go. Um, yeah, I had detoxed in the hospital. So I went straight to residential. Um, yeah, I got in there and it, for a couple of days. It's like, okay, I can lay here and wallow for a little bit. Uh, went to group, um, didn't do much, just was there, was a body in, in group and the activities that were required of us um, and kind of slept. And then, you know, got better, got to the point where I could eat, started talking to people. Um, they helped me get acclimated to the, don't want to say the curriculum, but like, you know, the schedule. So I was, got to the point where I was getting out by myself, feeding myself, talking, you know, getting more human, uh, getting back to normal after the first uh, couple of days or week. And then I started to feel better about it. Some things. um, How do I put it? I started getting into the idea of, of being involved with it. It's like, I'm going to do this. I know I have to do this physically. I'm safe now. Um, So let's take this time off to really work on me. Like I've never taken this much time off during my work life. I wasn't a vacation guy. It was, you know, I drank every night. What did I have to need a vacation for? I had one every day. Um, so I decided to go all in. Um, and I had called my old sponsor that I'd lost track track of. And luckily, he said, didn't yell at me like I expected him to or anything. He just said, welcome back. Glad to hear from you. And, you know, we'll get back to work. No problem. Let me know when you're out. So that was great. I got family on board. Um, and I really went for it for the first time and you know it worked it's it's continuing to work that's great that's
1: really good i mean so when was it how long ago uh
0: that was in. i was in from september 21 to october 21 okay so Yep. Yeah, it was in there for 30 days um one thing that i really remember um that i still talk about with i still see a therapist too um was I was writing my name on things I'm writing my name on pamphlets and stuff you know um, worksheets and stuff that you do in there I remember looking at my name and just being disgusted like I am so tired of that guy it's one of the things that got to me where I was like I really want to change I looked at my name I was like I'm sick of that dude you know I'm sick of who he was I'm sick of how he acts um, I'm sick of how gross he is with alcohol and how he treats people when he you know he's messed up like I want to look at my name on something and remember when i was younger you know when i was vibrant and and happy and had a future and was good to people like i want to be that guy again and i really internalized that and and that helped too and i expressed that to my family and they agreed that you know they missed that guy and then they also admitted thing some things to me too like you know my uncle says well you know i'm a workaholic that's that's how i deal with my stuff you know i I might take another shift at work if, you know, me and your aunt are on the outs or something, or if I'm feeling stressed and, you know, my cousins uh, too, they're like, yeah, we we work, you know, that that's, that's how we all deal. And we've all talked about that. And I'm sorry, we didn't share that with you. It's like you, you have this proclivity, perhaps part of its physical from your father, you know, but also you, you know, you started drinking and you latched onto it where they didn't. So they're like, don't think you're any different from, from the rest of the family in in that way it's just it's manifested in you differently
1: that must so have been comforting
0: it it changed everything i mean that was a um that was a weight on my shoulders that i didn't realize i had i mean specifically my uncle because with my you know with my dad not being around my granddad and my uncle were father surrogates um and for him to say you know you you're no different you you, you know you, you're just dealing with this this thing in a different way we're we're uh, a group of people that have the weight of the world on our shoulders. That's just our type of personality, um, and you're dealing with that in a different way. Uh, you tried to party it away, you know, or, or get intoxicated to to not feel that. And uh, you know, we're we're not going to show you our way. We don't want to turn you into a workaholic, <laughs> but uh, you know, we're, we're here for you. We don't we don't blame you. We don't hate you. We understand. You know now seeing um you know we understand better now what you're going through because they got you know in, invested in in reading you know al on literature and stuff like that and you know yeah knowing they were they were here for me and them telling me i wasn't so different when i felt so outcasted for not having Dad around and yeah it was a huge way that i didn't know i had and it helped tremendously
1: so how's life been since you got sober
0: better all the time <laughs> I no, know, I know we hear that a lot. Um, health has definitely been better. I mean, you, you know, at a base level, health has been better. I go. I'm not afraid to go to the doctor. He's not afraid to. um uh, Every so often, he kicks me in the pants, literally, just to remind me. You know, I'm a grown man, and he's he's not way too much older than me. But I'll go to the doctor's office, and he's like, "How you doing with the drinking?" And I'll say, "Oh, I've had this many months clean this many." He's good. And he'll kick me in the pants. He's "Don't forget that." That's so it. It's a joke. We um, health has been better. Um, I've been with a job uh, now going on two years. You know, I was struggling with employment there at the end, um, as many people do. You know, couldn't stay sober. So one job got outsourced, and I I used that as an excuse to drink. And then I got another job I didn't like. I used that as an excuse to drink. So I've had steady employment for the past couple of years. Uh, I'm in a great relationship with a woman. We've bought a house. Um, she has a kid and uh, he and I get along great we play music together he's a music major and uh, I'm a guitar and bass player so um, oh cool yeah we have that to talk about and relate to um, spiritually and and recovery wise you know things are good Um, 17 months now uh, going on the 18 month milestone uh, you know fingers crossed (laughs) if I If I keep at it and I fully intend to, I just say that jokingly, but, you know, coming up on 18 months and um, I'm in school for addiction studies, I actually finished an addiction studies certificate program, and I'm going to finish my associate's degree, hopefully go on to my bachelor's and I've actually been hired to do some casework at the treatment center that I attended. Oh, so yeah. So that's, that's really full circle for me is I get to, to go back and, and contribute there because that place really did help save me. And participating in, you know, I'm an AA guy, um, so participating in that um, is keeping me healthy. Um, they say you works if you know works if you work it, and it's true. Um, I make sure to go to meetings. I remind myself that I'm being irresponsible if I don't. Um, so yeah, life is just it, it's been better in every way, and I don't miss it, and I don't want to go back ever. You know, I, I I don't even go down the beer aisle at Kroger. I just don't want to have any, any association connection to a reminder, you know, at all, other than to, to work with people that are just trying to get healthy. You know, that's the, that's the, the only reminder I accept now. Awesome. I'm glad that
1: you're doing better. 17, going on 18 months, it's a big deal. It's a real big deal.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Again, it's the, the me now versus the me before. I mean, I will take this guy all day. Um, life isn't boring we we have a great time we we go out and have fun we do physical things we can go downtown at night without having to worry about oh how am I going to get home uh, we attend events concerts things and remember them you know that's new <laughs> yeah. that's a good that's a good thing um, yeah I, I recommend to anyone that's that's even considering maybe I you know I'm having a, a problem with this I know addiction is addiction but alcohol is a little different because you can't buy street drugs at the corner gas station right and it's not celebrated on TV and sponsoring sporting events so um it's a little bit different so it's kind of more automatic like if you're doing hard drugs oh you have a problem um it's a it takes a little more time for someone I think to be drinking alcoholically before someone says oh you have a problem it isn't as obvious as quickly if, if that makes sense or No, it maybe, does. Yeah. Maybe is isn't acknowledged as quickly. So, um, you know, if you're on a, if you're on a path where you're using drugs and you think you want out, if you're on a path of alcohol and you realize that, um, you're not drinking like everyone else, that it's becoming a necessity. There's absolutely a way out. There isn't only one path. There isn't only one person or group of people that can help. You can reach out in every direction you want and find someone that can be beneficial. You can find a philosophy or a program or something that can be beneficial to help you get healthy. And you it can align with your ideals, your philosophies. If you're a religious person, you're a faithful person, you can find things to align with that. It, Try not to let anything stand in your way because of this. Well, I don't want to do this group because they pray. I don't want to do this group because they don't pray. I, You know, anything you, can, anything you can find to make it contrary or give yourself an excuse to not reach out to somebody, just try not to. You'll find someone that'll help. You'll find someone that'll bend over backwards to help. You know, I, I can guarantee it. It happened to me and I see it all the time.
1: Some good advice. I appreciate that. That was actually one of my last questions if you had any advice for people watching or listening, but you beat me to it.
0: <laughs> yeah. That that's it. Say it out loud. Even if you're considering it, if you're, you know, you're not afraid or in a bad place, if you're just saying, huh, maybe I should make a change, say it out loud. Tell somebody else. Ask what they think. Um, so there's a joke, I overuse it, but it's every family has an alcoholic. And if your family doesn't have one, it's you. so everybody maybe not everyone but you know a lot of people know someone they know an alcoholic they know an addict or they know someone who knows someone or they know someone who is a therapist or someone in that arena of healthcare that you can talk to they're not difficult to find uh you know if you want to go uh 12 step you know it's not much easier to find than the front of the phone book if that's what you want to try
1: yeah well I want to thank you for coming on the podcast today. How do you feel?
0: Yeah, I feel good. Uh, yeah, this was, this was fun. Um, it, it's an interesting way to share, but, uh, you and I talked a, a little bit about, you know, we, we share our stories all the time and, and this is definitely different and being a radio guy, I haven't been on a microphone this long. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I mean, thanks for, for letting me tell my story. Um, you know, if anybody's, uh, again if anyone's struggling just reach out just say it out loud say it to somebody else you'll get help i promise and that's and i say that from uh, i back that up with data that's not just uh that's not just an opinion
1: no absolutely you're right about that there's a lot of information that will show you that yep so did
0: you have anything else you wanted to throw in um no no i think that was it um if anything, else, if we could go back just real quick to where I talked about having that seizure, um, that was a big deal. And I didn't know that that was something that could happen. So if you are at a point or if someone is at a point where they think they want to quit, um, alcohol and benzodiazepines are extremely dangerous to quit cold turkey. If you are a daily drinker or a daily user and you think you want to stop, um, you will be better for just telling your doctor than to think uh, you're superman and invincible or superwoman and invincible and trying yourself um because i quit cold turkey involuntarily i didn't plan to uh and it almost killed me so if you're a daily drinker heavy drinker heavy user um definitely seek medical help before anything else that would be my serious as a heart attack advice to someone that's thinking about getting clean so that can be you know yeah that was one of the clean.
1: things that i didn't know and I remember when I was going to rehab, I spoke on someone on the phone to do like an intake interview Mm -hmm. and they specifically said to me, we're not telling you to get hammered, but don't stop drinking until you get here.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I had heard that myself. Um, It's funny to think, you know, okay, I'm going to stop poisoning myself and that's actually going to be dangerous, but it's true. Yeah. Yeah, Biochemically, your body changes, your brain changes, Um, the alcohol and the drugs, they provide Uh, benefits for you unfortunately provide benefits for you chemically to the point where your own body stops producing those serotonin um, levels drop because you're getting it synthetically or not synthetically but you're getting it unnaturally you're getting you're ingesting it instead of creating it so whenever you take that chemical away which suppresses you know all of these things uh, all of these uh goings on in your head the your brain just goes dump all of it you know we 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 have nothing to suppress this so we're going to fire on all cylinders and your body does know how to react you know and seizure is a possibility and you know people do scary things bite their tongues aspirate stuff into their lungs you know stop breathing people have heart attacks because of seizures along with being dehydrated for so long um you know due to drinking heavily every day and not taking care of themselves it's a dangerous situation so yeah. Spiritually, socially for yourself, reach out uh, for your own best interest. Uh, definitely seek medical help if you're going to, if you want to detox, there's safe ways to do it. Um, you said that you would detox at a treatment center. Yeah. Right. That's a possibility. Uh, Hospital is a possibility. You, you will find a place. Seek and you shall find. You know, Reach out. You'll You'll find your place.
1: There you go. So I want to say thank you so much again for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate you doing this.
0: All right. You're very welcome. Uh, Always happy to talk about recovery. Um, And uh, great show, man. Thanks a lot.
1: All right. Thanks. So do me a favor and hang tight. All right. And for everybody watching and listening, if you like what you saw and heard, go below and give us a like. Also subscribe so you can see when we upload new videos. We're on all social media. So you can check us out on Twitter, Reddit, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, you name it. We're most likely on it. I also suggest checking out our website. That is www.addicts-anonymous.com. There you'll find plenty of free resources as well as free literature. So that's all we have for today. I really hope you enjoyed the interview. And until next time.